Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, we've been in the middle of a teaching series, if you will, well, on the parables of Jesus. Uh, we've kind of been walking through them one by one in not uh, any real particular order, um, but we've been really kind of looking at these parables, specifically the parables where Jesus is highlighting the kingdom of God, where he's teaching about this idea or this theme of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's uh, kind of Jesus's MO, his, his paramount message. Everywhere he goes, he's found preaching this message on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And we've been looking at these different parables that utilize metaphor and symbolism in order to kind of demonstrate a principle regarding the kingdom of God. Last week, Pastor Adam uh, expertly navigated two of those parables being with the mustard seed and the leaven out of Matthew chapter 13. I would encourage you guys, if you can, go back and listen to last week's message, listen to any of the previous week's messages, because they all kind of run congruent to one another, and they help bring a fuller picture of what God is doing and the message that Jesus was presenting on the kingdom of heaven. How many of you guys were here on Easter Sunday? This isn't like, oh, you weren't here, I'm judging you, or maybe you were. We had a, we had a pretty full house on Easter Sunday, and I shared uh, a particular parable uh, on that being of the treasure hidden in the field. And I uh, kind of dug into it from an alternative perspective uh, than what has gone down through the ages. And, and rather than looking at it from a straight-on approach, we looked at Jesus as being the one who found a treasure hidden in the field, went and gave everything he had in order to purchase that field uh, for the joy that was set before him. We took it out of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 2, and we really kind of presented this perspective of Jesus giving everything in order to obtain something that he treasured, that being you and me, or as the author of Hebrews would describe, the joy that was set before him. I believe this was a powerful, accurate way to look at this particular parable. It's an interpretation that I believe is 100% completely solid, or I wouldn't have preached it. And this morning's message is in no way to detract from that or backtrack or backstep or kind of try to apologize uh, for the way that we handled that text. If there's one thing as a pastor that I have strived for, especially in recent years, is I want to be true uh, to, to context. I want to take scripture for what it says and not take these giant liberties with it in order to spin a narrative that uh, isn't really what the author's intent was. And so I, I'm very careful and cautious with interpretations of things and how I present them. And so while I very much believe that that is a 100% valid way of looking at it, we're going to look at that same passage again today. And this wasn't something that I initially had planned on because I'd already preached 
this parable. I had actually prepared on moving on to a different parable of Jesus and was looking at that, but I felt the Holy Spirit stir something inside of me this week to go back, uh, almost as if he was saying, we're not finished here yet. There's more to, to dig up. There's more to examine. There's still things that I want to do with what's said. And so we're going to look at it from the, the more traditional uh, kind of perspective this morning um, in this parable, in this teaching of Jesus. And I'm thankful that he has uh, given grace and that his word is alive enough for us to look at it from two different perspectives. I, I don't know if you've done this, but uh, in deeper project that we uh, have on Tuesday nights when we're not doing Alpha, where we're just reading through scripture together, uh, we read passages of scripture that I've read before, um, but didn't minister to me the same way as they did the second or third or fourth time of reading them. Has anybody ever experienced that? Maybe reading in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, you could read a passage of Scripture, you could be familiar with it, but it's almost like the Spirit of God comes alongside and breathes new life on a particular portion of the Scriptures to minister to you there and then. And it's an amazing thing, and that's something that I love about the Bible, is that it's not just a dead book full of stories. It's not just a historical document. We understand that the word of God, uh, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it is living and powerful, right? It's something that is alive and it's relevant, uh, just as relevant to us today in our current situation, in our current context as it was 2,000 years ago or even uh, longer ago when it was first written. Does that make sense? And so uh, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is actively giving revelation, is actively ministering, actively bringing the word of God alive to us. And so with that being said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 again today. Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 46 is kind of our primary text. And I don't anticipate this being very long, um, and I don't apologize for that this morning, but I think there are aspects to this parable that we need to really kind of hone in on, really let the Holy Spirit do a work uh, before we kind of continue on in looking at other ones um, as we continue to just look at the words of Jesus and what he has to say about the kingdom. In verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that filled. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And guys, before we get too far down this road here and, and as we kind of unpack this parable, uh, I need you to understand neither one of these parables are about buying into the kingdom of God. Neither one of these are about purchasing the kingdom or uh, with some kind of monetary gain. It's not about a works-based salvation where you have to do something to inherit it. Uh, there isn't a good deed that you can do. There isn't a price that you can pay that can bring you into good standing with God. We understand that Jesus Christ paid it once and for all. He paid it in full upon the cross, and we're here today. We're in God's kingdom solely based upon what Jesus 
did for us. I want to I get that out of the way as we begin to explore this topic this morning. That's the thing about, parala, uh, that's the thing about parables. That's the thing uh, that, that we see here is that we need to make sure we're focusing in on the main point of what Jesus was trying to say. Uh, of what Jesus was explicitly saying because he wasn't trying to get us hung up on us uh, selling everything so that we could buy or purchase the kingdom. The main point of this parable, the main thing, the main theme that Jesus was trying to present here that we're going to explore in greater depth is he's trying to, to get you to understand the immense value of what is to be had in the kingdom of God. The immense value of what is to be had when we have right relationship with God. That it is essentially priceless. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I remember, I think they were Visa commercials back in the day. And they would run up the cost of like, uh, you know, different things. Uh, like, hey, uh, baseball costs $6, you know. Uh, going to the batting cages costs $20, but having a moment with your son is priceless. But they're typically funny, and it was about like somebody getting hurt or some kind of marketing strategy, and this just popped into my head, so I didn't like look them up before I tried to give this analogy or give this example. But the reality, friends, um, is that what we're invited into, relationship and life with Jesus, it, it's a priceless valuable thing that we cannot compare to anything else. And it should be treasured above everything else. Uh, if you have something of immense value, of immense worth, that is beyond compare, compare, it is something that you should be willing to treasure and guard ferociously. Is it not? This is something that confuses me with so many people that have had an encounter, that have had an experience with the Lord, that have begun to develop a relationship with him. I have friends that I went to ministry school with. I have, I have uh, colleagues that have served in, in ministry with, that have walked away from the Lord because they did not treasure. They did not guard their experience with God, their life with God, and they treated it as some other common flippant thing, and just eventually it eroded away. And I want, to, I want to caution us today that what we have and what we've been invited to, invited to is of utmost value. It's worth treasuring. It's worth guarding with your very life. There's a few things that I really want to highlight here, and we're going to get to a point that all of this is going to make sense, but there's one thing that particularly stuck out to me as I was preparing for this message was that the treasure and the parable that Jesus uses here of the treasure hidden in a field um, seems a little mundane. It seems a little common. Um, this treasure being buried in a field um, this wouldn't have been something that was uncommon to Jesus' hearers, his disciples that were sitting around him this day. Because uh, in Jesus' day, they didn't really utilize banks like Wells Fargo like we have. There were ways that you could make investments. There was the idea or the construct of, uh, of investing your money. But for the, for the large part, you weren't writing checks and you weren't, kind of, uh, you weren't carrying currency around in, 
in a way that uh, we do here. If you had a treasure, if you had things of value, it would actually be common to bury them in a place where you knew to find them. Uh, we see this example kind of with the parable of the talents, where there's a, there's a wealthy master that gives talents to his servants, and some go and invest it and make money, and they put it to work. And one, uh, one uh, lazy servant <laughs> just goes and buries it in a field so that he could give it back uh, when his master returned. And I, I think about this, um, just so you guys understand, it wasn't like this guy was on a treasure hunt looking for something. I, I believe that it kind of presents itself in a pretty common approach. Um, and we see this treasure just hidden in a field. Has anybody been to Kansas? I'm sure most of you guys have. Wow, okay. Anybody like driving through Kansas? No, okay. If somebody answered yes to that question, we were going to stop the service. We were going to pray for you because we believe that God can bring healing and make you whole. Honestly, I think there's parts of Wyoming that are way worse than Kansas. Um, if, I, if I'm just being, just being honest there. But, but Wyoming kind of has, has the thing going for it where, I mean, there are parts of Wyoming that are awesome, right? But it was just kind of like they all got scrunched up together. <laughs> and it's all the pretty parts along, or on, uh, all the pretty parts along I-25 were just like stolen away, and clumped in the western half of the state. But Kansas doesn't have anything. I mean, right? Kansas is. I've never seen them. <laughs> you must not see them from the interstate. <laughs> I believe that they're there. But there's a lot of fields, right, in Kansas. The majority of Kansas's fields. And relatively, even with your beautiful green rolling hills that are evidently there, it's uh, relatively uninspiring compared to the beautiful vistas that we have, right? When we step outside and I, I, I can uh, kind of, um, you know, I, I can look out our window over here and see mountain peaks or go up to Red Mountain and just be amazed with all the majesty that's there. In comparison, a field is pretty common. It's kind of pretty mundane. It's a, can pretty just ordinary and, and bland. And most places have fields. Colorado has fields. I know Hawaii even has fields. Uh, we, we look at uh, all of these different places. It, it's something that's common, and there's this magnificent treasure that's hidden in the mundane. Now, if I were Jesus and I was trying to craft a parable here and I wanted to entice people and make it sound cool, like I'd present this story of the, the hidden treasure being at the top of a mountain peak that, that, that the man had to go and traverse and, and, and risk his life in order to obtain. Or, or maybe he had to sail across an ocean for this adventurous story, but that's not how it's presented. We see the kingdom of heaven being hidden in something that is particularly common, particularly mundane. And I think that there is something to be said here um, that in the everyday, ordinary workings of life, the kingdom of God is still at hand. That was the message that Jesus was presenting everywhere he went. It says that when he began to preach, he began to preach that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. 
The kingdom of heaven was near or the kingdom of heaven was within reach. It was accessible to you and I. And I believe it was accessible in the everyday, ordinary workings of life. Does God move in supernatural, marvelous, mystical, mysterious ways? Yes, he does. But I do believe that his primary mode of operation I believe the primary place that we see the kingdom of God come alive is in our everyday normal life. Our nine to five, our working at our jobs, our, 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 our raising our families, <laughs> our going to schools, our, uh, our shopping at the grocery store. I believe that there is opportunity that presents itself to see the glorious working of the kingdom of God even in the mundane. Does that make sense? Uh, I realized this was, a, this, was a, this was a point here that I was struggling to flesh out into words, but it was something that the Spirit was just wrestling with me with that I, I felt needed to present. And I, I don't want us to neglect or despise the working of God's kingdom just because it isn't flashy. Can I tell you that serving Jesus and this thing of Christianity isn't always this super sexy thing. Sometimes it happens in the mundane, just everyday working of life when you're a mom and you're struggling to do all of the housework because your husband is just working on Jeeps all day. You have these beautiful moments with Jesus. There was nothing even, don't connect the dots too well there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically, yeah. <laughs> Friends, I just, I, I think that we can sometimes get caught up. We hear speakers, we hear, we hear preachers, we, we see these things that really get like a million posts on social media and all the likes and stuff, and we can get caught up like, well, man, God's really moving in this person's life, or he's really moving in that ministry or that person that's, you know, traveling across the world doing all these amazing things. I want to encourage you, even in the ordinary God's kingdom is moving, and he's advancing. And that is the primary place where he's looking to establish his kingdom and to see it advance. Does that make sense? And by no means am I calling God ordinary. By no means am I saying that his working in his kingdom is mundane or it's just boring. But I do believe that that is where we see this marvelous thing kind of unfold of the transformative power of the kingdom of God that happens in everyday life. Does that make sense? I got more to that. I'm fleshing out a whole sermon on it, but I just wanted to present that thought to you because as we continue on here, as we look at the main just kind of meat of these parables and really that the main theme that Jesus is dealing with is that there is a high cost to pay and there is something of immense value that, is ex that that cost is exchanged for. And so what we see here is that I believe there is a cost to discipleship. There's a real cost to following Jesus. And that can be confusing because we understand that salvation is free, right? And we understand that what Jesus did on Calvary with him giving his life for us paid the price that we could not pay so that we could enter into the kingdom of God. But yet, throughout the scriptures and throughout the teachings of Jesus, we see this thing uh, that Jesus kind of continually brings up that there being a high cost to follow him. So, so is it a lie? Is it like a bait and switch? Is this like a deal with some strings attached where it's just too good to be true? I heard it described like this, that um, let's say I wanted to be a mountain climber and I wanted to go climb Mount Everest. 
pretend like I'm in wicked good shape and that I do this all the time. Uh, I think it's something like $70,000 to get the permits that you need in order to climb Mount Everest and pay for Sherpas and guides and all that stuff. And because uh, it's not just something that you can just go do. It's like, I can go around Colorado and be like, you know what, I want to climb a 14er today. I'm in rough shape, but I could go do it, maybe eventually. Uh, but to do Mount Everest, it's like crazy expensive. And you have to have training and be in good shape and all that stuff. But let's say I had a wealthy friend, right? Uh, let's say Stephen, man, you, you, you're very wealthy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you just... You're, you've got treasure hidden everywhere. That, if you guys uh, want to go to lunch today, uh, Stephen, he's just super wealthy. He'd love to take you out. But Stephen, you're like, dude, you know what? I'm going to go climb Mount Everest, and I want to foot the bill and pay the price for you to go and you to come with me. I'd be like, sure, let's do it, right? Because we do silly, stupid things like that all the time, and we get in over our heads. But for the sake of this example, let's say that's what we're going to do. Now, all of a sudden, it's free for me to climb Mount Everest, right? Because somebody else paid the way for me to do it. It's still going to cost me, though, right? It may not, it may not cost me the $70,000 in permits, but I'm going to have to put my life at stake. I'm going to have to train for months. It's going to take time away from my family. And, and immensely, I'm putting, eventually, I'm putting my life on the line in order to accomplish this thing. It may have been technically free, but there was still a heavy cost that was associated with it. And I, I want you to understand this because Jesus paid the price for our entryway into life with God. But to truly follow him requires us to give something up. And it costs us something of value. And I, I want you to look at this. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14 verses 25 through 27. Says this now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That sounds costly to me. That sounds like there is something demanded of me if I'm going to say yes to following Jesus, if I'm going to follow him. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says this, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is the deal here, Jesus? Like, what's going on? What are you requiring? Is Pastor Nate going to kind of continue on this message and tell everybody that they need to sell everything that they own and come and give it to the church? No, I'm not. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if God tells you to do that, that's one thing. But I'm not telling you to do that. What I see here in this passage of Scripture, and what I see taking place is this description, this, this, uh, this portrait that's being painted, that there has to be an exchange that takes place. An exchange when we step into the kingdom of God, the way that we used to live, the passions that used to consume us, they're exchanged for his standards and his passions. And I, I believe this, that you cannot grab hold of God until you let go of everything else. We have this kind of mentality where we want to try to hold on to the world, hold on to our passions, hold on to our one way of our old way of life, hold on to the things that used to define us and love us, and 
hold hands with Jesus at the same time. And it doesn't work that way. He never intended that to be an option. He never granted us this option on the checklist of Christianity for us to simply add Jesus to what we already have going on. But sometimes we like to, we like to make that kind of the, the thing that we present to people. Hey, have you tried Jesus? Your life sucks. Maybe try a little bit of Jesus on the side and see how it goes. But that was never an option. That was never something that was presented to us in the scriptures. That was never the message that Jesus presented to people when he invited them to follow him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose your life. There's got to be this exchange. Everything that once was you has to be sacrificed in order for me to do something in your life. It's not an invitation for Jesus to jump into the passenger seat while we continue to drive the car. I've used the example a lot where we, we treat Jesus as a condiment, where we just try to make our life a little bit better by adding a little A1 steak sauce or Jesus sauce on it. And that was never something that he wanted for his followers. He always demanded surrender. He wanted your whole heart, not just pieces or parts of it. And he paid too high of a price for us to just give him part of it. And so when I see these examples in the scriptures where they sell, they give everything that they have in joy to exchange it for this thing called the kingdom... They're doing so with joy because they recognize that it's a pretty great deal. You guys know me? Uh, If you don't, let me introduce myself. My name is Nate, and I have a problem buying Jeeps. Uh, I'm surprised only one person laughed at that. (laughs) Everybody else was like, am I allowed to laugh at that? Because it's... It's real. Somebody was here, uh, I, I think somebody might have been like saying, you know what, we need to start an intervention. Um, and so uh, I think it was last week, I was down here working in the church parking lot, and I had three Jeeps all of a sudden. I went from no Jeeps to three Jeeps in a matter of a week, wondering, okay, what's going on? But the thing is, uh, I'm just a sucker for a good deal if I'm being honest. And the the reason why I wound up with three Jeeps in the parking lot was I kept finding a deal, then I found a better deal, and then I found a better deal. And I was wound up uh, able to kind of sell those other Jeeps, and now I I, I found a Jeep that is going to be mine. I'm saying it on a Sunday morning. Somebody hold me to it. Uh, (laughs) That uh, I really love and I'm passionate about. But in, in the context of this, I have gone through... 11 Jeeps in the last seven years, which I recognize is absurd, and it sounds, sounds like sketchy, it sounds fishy, but for every Jeep that I've purchased, save one, just there was one example where this didn't work out, and that was because I was hooking a friend up with a great deal, I have sold these Jeeps for uh, a significant profit, even after putting significant mileage on them. And what defines a good deal for me is that it it, kind of works under this. It's when the cost of something outweighs the value or the worth. No, other way around. Where the worth of something (laughs) outweighs the cost of something. I should just read my notes because I wrote it right in my notes. I don't know why I'm trying to uh, pretend like I don't need to look at this here. 
Well, what, how did I say it? Here we go. What defines a good deal? For me, it's when something costs less than it's actually worth. Does that make sense? There we go. And so that's how I got suckered into buying Jeeps. And it's kind of translated into other areas and aspects of my life where I buy things because they're a good deal. And I think, well, this is worth that much. So I can turn it and sell it for a profit. And uh, it's worked out pretty well for me. And uh, I'm happy to report that. But I just am a sucker for good deals. And it's a, it can become a problem because then all of a sudden I'm buying things just because they're good deals and they're not something that I actually need or that I actually want. And then I'm turned into the cycle of having to sell things that I don't really want to sell. And then it doesn't eat into my time. But there's good deals and then there's great deals. And I measure the, the value of a deal based upon what it's cost me, inevitably what it's worth. And that is boiled down to what somebody's actually willing to pay. And can I tell you, friends, there is not a cost that is high enough to compare with the worthiness of Jesus. There is not a cost that is high enough to compare with the worthiness of Jesus. I used to say if there was a cost that was too high for you to commit to when it comes to following Jesus, it would find you out. I believe that still to be true. But you forsaking all, you giving up everything, your money, your family, even your life, your passions, your desires, everything that defines you being you, even if you had to give up all of that and it was just thrown in the bin and you had no identity and God wouldn't restore anything and wouldn't do another thing for you, can I still tell you that uh, that would be the greatest deal to ever exist? But I'm thankful that we serve a God that does ask us to give everything, but it's not just so that we can say that we gave up a bunch of stuff, but he meets us there and he gives us something even better, gives us life in him. And he changes our passions. He changes our desires and he morphs us into something that is a new creation. And it is by far the best deal that has ever existed, that ever has, and that ever will And uh, I just want to encourage you because what you had going on before life in Jesus honestly was not that great. I I can say that without knowing each and every one of your stories. I can say that without knowing all of your back history. But I can guarantee you whatever it was that you had to give up to say yes to Jesus, it pales in comparison to what he promises to give you in return. And so there is a cost that is associated with following Jesus. There is this expectancy for you to give some things up. There is this expectancy for you to give up things that you think are right, but God says is wrong. But in exchange for something that is far more valuable than you could ever comprehend. Can I tell you that there is immense worth in the kingdom? That's what this parable is about. Your life before Jesus wasn't worth what you thought it was. Can I tell you that giving up your old life in exchange for all that Jesus has to offer is the best deal that has ever and will ever be offered to you. I had to read that again because I wanted to make sure that I didn't skip that. (laughs) But when we find treasure like God's kingdom relationship with him, like what we're reading about here, can I tell you the cost 
becomes insignificant. And that's something that I want to highlight here because, yes, we talked about the cost. Yes, I want you to be aware that there is a real cost when it comes to following Jesus. But I really believe that this parable isn't so much about the cost as it is about the value or the worth of what was received. And that's what Jesus is trying to emphasize here. He's saying that it is of immense value. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, we see Paul begin to describe this. Paul had a great pedigree. You know, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew his stuff. He, he was kind of the religious top dog, if you would. But he goes in this discourse in Philippians chapter 3, and I'd encourage you to read all of it, but verses 7 and 8 directly pertain to what we're talking about here, where he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. See, this parable isn't primarily about the cost. It isn't about the loss. It isn't about what Paul had to give up here or the things that he considered rubbish like I said before, all of that kind of becomes insignificant because it's not about what you have to lose. It's all about what you have to gain. And I could go and spend a long time this morning talking about the worthiness of the kingdom or the worth of the kingdom. It's immense value. And I don't want us to conflate the, the idea that Somehow it's something that only repays itself in the afterlife. Because I, I think in the West, we've kind of developed this mentality that the kingdom of God or these promises of the kingdom of heaven or the promise of, uh, of eternal life begins after you die. And that is something that Jesus attempts to dismantle again and again and again and again throughout his teachings on the kingdom because not once does he insinuate that life in the kingdom begins when you perish, when you pass away. It's something that is a here and now reality that will come to fruition one day. But there is still the here and now reality of life with Jesus in the kingdom of God that he promises to his followers. And there's something of value in that. But can I tell you that the worth of the kingdom is primarily defined by the worthiness of Jesus. It's first and foremost defined by the worthiness of the king, and that's why there's value in the kingdom, because it all centers around Jesus. And what I was praying for, for this morning, what I was praying for for my own heart, and where I believe that God wants to take us today is into a place of fresh revelation of the worthiness of Jesus, because without it, we're going to continue trying to do this Christianity thing. We're going to continue to try to live this kingdom thing out. And we're going to be left questioning, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to stay married? Is it really worth it to continue down this path of self-sacrifice? Is it really worth it to continue forgiving my enemy? Is it really worth it to continue to give sacrificially? Is it really worth it to continue to do these things that Jesus told me to do? Because it's hard and it's difficult. And can I tell you that uh, 
eventually human strength will run out. There are people that are doing missions work, that are, doing, uh, that, are, that are moved by injustice across the globe, and they're burning themselves dry, burning, running them, burning themselves dry. Yeah, that would make sense because then they'd be combustible. What am I talking about? I don't know if you guys caught this one earlier, but I was praying at the beginning of service, and I prayed for razor clear vision. I wanted to say razor sharp vision or crystal clear vision, and I said razor... It's the allergies, man. I'm sorry. I like to pretend like this is your first time today. This is, I'm just off form, but now this is pretty normal. I'm probably doing better than normal. <laughs> but there are, there are people that are attempting to do missions work and they're running out of steam. They're running out of energy and it's because compassion can only take you so far and it'll eventually burn out. There is one sustaining factor to endeavoring and finishing this race well, and that is when the worthiness of Jesus serves as our primary motivation for anything and everything we do, because that is the one thing that is never going to fail. Your compassion might run out. Your drive, your determination might cease to exist. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. There is just the the nature of the world that we live in that things fluctuate. Your emotions cannot be trusted. Your heart will eventually probably fail you. But there is one thing that will be left unchanging, and that is the fact that Jesus is worthy of it all. And if he's worthy of it all, it's enough for me to get up the next day and say, yes, God, I'm going to continue to pastor your church even when there's people that are mean and backbite and don't like me and have something to say and complain about. I'm going to say yes again. It's the same reason why there are missionaries that get up and forsake comfort and forsake family and forsake luxury because they understand something is the fact that Jesus is still worthy and he's going to continue to be worthy and he demands excellence he demands fruitfulness from my life and so I'm going to pursue that with everything I have because there are going to be days where you don't feel like it there are going to be days where you're going to say is this really worth it and I would have to encourage you you'll have to rely back onto what you know and not what you feel and that is the fact that Jesus is worthy I want to look at this in Revelation chapter 5. And this is where we're going to hang out here. We're going to prepare to take communion in just a moment. But it says here in in Revelation 5, John is having this uh, vision of the throne room of heaven. And it says that he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, the the whole context for what's taking place here in the throne room of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5 is they're trying to find someone that is worthy to open this scroll, but they can't find anybody. There are people crying because they're saying no one is found to open the scroll. But here we see this lamb that was slain. If you don't know who this is, this is Jesus. 
He takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And if you continue reading this passage, this song continues to go on where it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures bow down and worship. But I want you to understand this. The worth of Jesus is defined in his act of sacrifice. We see it here that you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. There's a direct association with the price that Jesus paid for us and his worth and his worthiness. That is mind-boggling to me. Jesus would still be worthy if he never did a thing for us. But here, Scripture implies that he's worthy because he was slain. And he says here that he purchased us for God with his own blood. From people from every tribe and nation, language and tongue. He purchased us. I've used this analogy before and I'm going to use it again. Mainly because we just like cars. Last week, Adam had a great uh, kind of little, uh, what would you call that? Uh, an analogy or a, where you used the, why? Yeah, with the car and the gasoline and the stuff. Now that I just mentioned it, I'm not going to go off on it. Anyway. How many of you guys have bought a car from a dealership before? Like a brand new car. Okay, I'm not Dave Ramsey, I'm not judging, but let's say you went to go buy brand new 2023, or I guess it's 2024 because we're in 2023, new car. You walked in, you find the car that you want. Somebody, what kind of car does somebody want? Bronco. Bronco. Somebody wants a new Bronco. I'll pray for you. <laughs> They're just imitating <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I just. <laughs> but let's say you're going to go buy a brand new Bronco. You walk into the Ford dealership there. They've got one on the lot. That's the miracle in and of itself. <laughs> and you've got, I don't know what they cost. Let's say they cost $70,000 because cars are just stupid expensive these days. But you have $70,000 just to blow on a new Bronco. And you come in. And, man, you guys are stinking loaded in all of my examples this morning. <laughs> I wish we were a name it, claim it kind of church right now, but uh, <laughs> well, let's say you walk in and you, you take 70 grand, you put it on the dealership's desk and say, you know what? I want that Bronco out there. What color is it? It's yellow. You want that yellow Bronco out there. You take it, you sign all the paperwork, they hand you the keys and you get in to drive it off, but they, they, they come out and they stop. Oh, hold up, hold up. Uh, you can't do that yet. The wheels cost extra. Right, or they take the wheels off, or, and then you go and pop the hood, and there's no engine in it, right? 
And you're like, this is not what I made a deal for. This is not what I purchased, right? I purchased a fully functioning vehicle. It's supposed to be brand new. It's supposed to be all there. But that's what we do with the Lord. You see, he paid a price, a high price to purchase all of us. And he wants every part of your heart. He wants your deepest, darkest hurts. And he wants all of your brokenness because he wants to make it new. But what he comes in and, and we give him some things here and there. And it's like he's getting a car that he paid for in full, but that's missing some key components. And we're holding them back. And we understand how absurd that would be if a dealership did that. But when we take it to a grand scheme and we talk about how the Lord has paid such a high price to purchase mankind back to him, and we say, you can have me, God, but only part of me. We understand how absurd that is. What he wants to give us, the glorious exchange of the kingdom, requires a letting go of all of us in exchange for everything he has for us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.